Welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast. I'm excited to be introducing this conversation. One of our panels focused around the curatorial theme, gender equality. It's presented by Herclic, who's also furnishing the inaugural Herclic Women Prize this year. The conversation's titled How to Shatter a Ceiling and features the trailblazing artist Lakila Brown in conversation with her dynamic gallerist Ellie Rines of 56 Henry. The two will discuss their tactics for navigating the masculine power structures of the art world and why they still exist in 2023. So without further ado, I'm handing the conversation over to our moderator, Dan DeRay, an arts writer whose work has appeared in countless publications, including The Economist, The Guardian, Town and Country, and many more. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Annie. We're pleased to be here. Uh, and I'm happy to be a part of this conversation. You know, we did a dry run of this last week, and you guys, and you're both so interesting to talk to. Um, and I learned on that conversation that it's actually your five-year anniversary of working together. So I thought I would just start off by asking how, how you two came to work together. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, baby. I'll be, I'll be expecting my gift later. It's in um, my tote bag. Yeah, yes, we met it. We met, we met during Art Week in Miami uh, five years ago. Yeah. We met at NADA. We met at, at an art fair. Mm-hmm. I saw Lakila's work and I figured out a way to get closer to her. So I cornered her at the fair, and then I tried to charm you and wear you down until you agreed to show with me. And I had to work every angle. I got your Detroit gallery involved. I got like random people that knew you to say nice things about me. I was on. I was on a mission. That is is actually (laughs) true. And I've loved you more every day ever since. Oh, love you. Ellie, you said that in general you you prefer you know working with 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 artists who are women. Um, it's not like a rule, but that's your preference. Um, why why is that? Because of the lack of boundaries. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I love JK, work- not JK. <laughs> yeah, because it's more economical to share a bed. No. <laughs> wow! 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 No, I like working with Untitled women. Untitled gets art- canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I like working with um, female artists because I find that women are often kind of like more intuitive, that you can go to like a more emotional place more easily. I've worked with Nick Doyle before who's in the audience and I really loved that because he can uh, tap into some feminine qualities. Um, But yeah, I do find that it's like really, um, I don't know, I love working with women. I find it really easy to like support each other and... I lead in a very emotional way. Like, that's, like, how I try to run the galleries. <laughs> Not strictly business. And um, so, yeah, I like that kind of sense of collaboration. So, you know, uh, this, this panel is about the glass ceiling, and I thought I would throw this question to the both of you. You know, maybe, maybe we'll start with you, Lakila. When, when, when are the times in your career that you've most felt the ceiling, that you've most felt differences of gender sort of from a business perspective I mean you you can never know um what sometimes looking around at people in your peers you're kind of wondering you know using that as kind of a measuring stick but I also tried to not do too much of that was it you know Teddy Roosevelt that said comparison is a thief of joy uh, so, I mean, and also, like, 
you know, you never know why people have the resources they have. So I don't know. I guess it's always happening or, or never happening. I mean, it's happening, but I don't know about specific instances. Ellie, same question. When do you when do you feel the glass ceiling? I think that like Hila and I are like similar in that you kind of try to ignore it in a lot of ways because you don't want to think that there's anything getting in your way. Um, so like there's what like is saying that that it probably is kind of like always like um, ever present, but you kind of try to like just not think it's there. Um, and then I guess that it's more just something where I'll feel that there's like maybe like rooms that I'm not invited to because they're kind of like boys club, bro down, hangouts. And I appreciate for those rooms to be broken up more and more because I don't like that. I don't like there to be anything that's like exclusive. And sometimes you never know. I mean, that's one of the things is about privilege and preference and all of those kinds of things is sometimes you don't know what you don't know. But, but Lakila, how have your, you know, because we, we talked about Ellie's preference for working with, with, with women artists, um, have, you, have you ever experienced any friction with any dealers that you felt was like maybe a little gendered or? Yeah, I mean, there's, it's, you know, if we're fish, it's the water we're swimming in. So it's, you know, it's happening all the time and like I'm not above it 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 happens I do it too it's just about like awareness um but for sure people you know may make assumptions about what you can and can't do um and make decisions for you based on those sort of assumptions about how they see you well, there was that like awful studio visit. Do you remember that? Where that guy was trying to tell you to like make work at a different scale. That's always, that's also just like an art world thing. It's like big for no reason. It's like, do I have a reason to go bigger? Sometimes you do have a reason to go bigger, but you know, big for just the sake of big is like, you know. So, I mean, that, that's also like, yeah, just also a very typical, that's like a, a art trope at this point. Bigger, bigger, bigger. That, that was a collector or, or, or... No, it was just like a male art dealer. And I was like kind of like appalled that he like went into your studio and was like, you should do it this way and that way. I was like, uh, uh, do not tell Akila the way she should be making her work. I mean, that's also just kind of why you have to be careful with who you let into your studio. Like I was, I learned that the hard way, always very welcoming in terms of like hosting studio visits. But now I'm a lot more careful with that. It's a shame. Um, I mean that. I mean, because also your works aren't like small. I've definitely seen big works of yours. <laughs> so, 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 I don't, like, was he talking like monumental? Like, I don't even remember. But um, I mean, it, it for me, it's like, it, does it feel right? I'm open to feedback, but like, feedback is just you know something you take in. It doesn't mean that it's a fact. It's just you know some information that may or may not apply to you. Um, Lakila, you raised a good point when you said, you know, this is all just water. We have all spent most of our careers in the art world. Um, but, you know, I think there is a perception that the art world does better on this than um, other industries like Hollywood and Wall Street. Um, do you think that that's 
I mean, it, it, do you think that that's correct? That 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 there is more gender equality in the art world than perhaps other businesses. I mean, the the Gorilla Girls literally made posters about this, um, and you know, I also just as a person who is also black has to I have to like think about how I have all of these other intersecting identities that affect decisions too so sometimes it's like you don't you know if somebody's underestimating you or you know being weird to you you don't know if it's because you're black or a woman because it's like I can't like switch from being I can't choose in that moment to be just black or just a woman but um I think you yeah you never know um Yeah, I still feel like it's like a very male-dominated situation and that you have to have like alliances with like other women who are going to be supportive and that like I try to look out for women and the people that have been really helpful towards me are women. Like women have gone out of their way for me a lot more than men have. Um, and, and also like if we, check the, if we check the boards, the numbers are still, you know, in terms of works acquired and works already in collections like it doesn't you know perception can feel what there's a I'm I'm just full of cliches today but like you know how like equality can equality can feel like you know a threat basically um when people are making an effort to like view women's art more black people's art indigenous people queer people um, and it's like, well, if we still, it's like, you don't need to worry. Like if we check the scoreboards, like you're still, we're still like in a male dominated, you know, cis hetero, all of the bell hook, you know, things that she called out. It's true. But I also understand that like change for people in powerful, um, positions can feel like a threat. No, that's a very good point. Um, and, and, you know, the, the title of this panel is sort of instructive, you know, how to, not that I thought we were actually going to solve this today, but, but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and, and, but, but Likula brings up a great point, which is, which is how entrenched these structures are. And, you know, no matter how much progress we make, um, please join us. Uh, there's plenty of room. <laughs> um, we're going to blink the glass chairs. <laughs> Yeah, these feel like, yeah, speaking of glass. Yeah, they, these, they're, we're looking at some really designer uh, glass benches, and they, it feels like almost inappropriate to sit on, but you they're guys are welcome beautiful. to come in. Um, but, but yes. <laughs> but uh, I was talking, uh, going off of Lakila's point, that uh, these, these power structures are very entrenched. If you look at the scoreboards, and, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing that we can really do to change art history and there's nothing we can do to change the collection of MoMA for example that's just always going to be dead white guys um, I mean uh, how do you I mean what how do you guys think about think about it on that level in terms of in terms of art history in terms of making museums and the art viewing art historical experience more inclusive for women I think that like everything's doable as long as people are willing to put in the effort. So I think that you have to have like the museums more committed to showing female artists, the collectors more committed to buying work by female artists, showing female artists. Like I think that, and making it more inclusive just in general. And that if you like put the work to bring that to audiences, then hopefully you will be supported. And 
I don't know what the stats are in the 56 Henry program, but it feels pretty like predominantly women. And I've found that I've had a lot of people be incredibly supportive of that. Yeah, I mean, if we can decide, and this is the biggest, most like stable foundation, if we can decide that we actually care to extend um, these kinds of opportunities to underrepresented people, that's like the number one thing. And then um, be brave enough to like understand and contextualize history instead of like being defensive about it and like understanding that, you know, we can build a space that supports us. Then we can start to like, because to your point, Dan, we can't change history, but we are here and now. Um, and so if we are willing to like face that history and make corrective decisions going forward, I mean, that, that, is, that is the way instead of, like, um, dwelling on what, what was. I mean, we have to, like, reckon with the history, but, like, that's different than, like, sort of, like, being destructive and, like, feeling sorry for, like, how it, you know, more productive energy moving forward and more include, yeah, an actual genuine effort going forward. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, and I, I think museums are on everyone's side on this. You know, it, it, they're, they're just working with, well, <laughs> okay, for the viewers, at, for the listeners at home, Lakila kind of grimaced a little. <laughs> but, I, but I mean to say, you know. We hope. <laughs> I think that, I don't know, as a writer and, and somebody who thinks about art, the place that I'm coming to is like, the MoMA collection is what it is, and it's authoritative on the level that it is, but certainly it's not comprehensive. And there are certainly other things going on contemporarily with this, the work that they were collecting that they just didn't know about and that we sort of have to seek out maybe for ourselves. Um, yeah, um, self-compassion, and that extends on um, an institutional level. Like I said, the sort of like sulking about it and feeling guilty is like not useful, but um, you know, if there are people with genuine like um, intention and there's no, you know, and also not using perfection as a trap, right? It's never, like it, it doesn't have to be, you know, so anxious that like you're just neurotic to the point of not functioning but working towards those things and understanding that institutions do move s slowly. Um, I mean, I, I think that galleries like 56 Henry, you know, being an example and sort of leading, I mean, of course we look to the institutions and these are public spaces, but also, you know, seeing independent galleries, smaller galleries take the lead on being more inclusive is like also another way. I mean, I'm, I am a proponent of trying things on all levels, right? You know, we don't have to argue over tactics either. I mean, we can, as long as we keep it productive, but like, I'm a fan of like all, of all avenues. And, you know, as long as we are all genuine in our like intentions 
and have compassion as we make changes. That's like a good foundation to start from, I think. Um, but, it, it, you know, I can't help but be skeptical um, <clears throat> of institutions because a lot of these issues are um, systematic, right? It's not about, like, individuals keeping each other down or something like that. It's, it's the, the institutions and the way that they shape the way that we think about ourselves and what we think when we look at art and what is acquired and, you know, even purchased on an individual collector level. But uh, no, and th that's a great point, and I and and I certainly don't mean to get down on 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 MoMA like like you know as an institution necessarily myself not myself anyway because no the, I, I I use them as an example because at the time that they were call them out <laughs> call call everybody out oh my god I love MoMA no 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 <laughs> we love take you away we my love you card. MoMA we love you MoMA and we have questions and we you know it's all good like I said compassion and understanding not being um, you know, not allowing ourselves to sort of, you know, become inactive as we strive to make changes. I'm saying we like I work at MoMA. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I mean, it, it's an example because this is an institution that has a history that we can look at. So, but yes. And a history of, of, of they, they were, at the time they, they were started, and you know, the time the collection was started, they were radical. They were, they were like, we want to go do the edgiest shit. But then it just all did, ha but by white guys. <laughs> I was going to say, very radical. <laughs> right. Wow. They just didn't notice that one of the aspects. Um, but, um, but no, to your point, compassion, you know, I think that we, we all love art and we all, we all are, have, have the goal of, of, you know, being inclusive and showing things that art that is, that is good. And, and if art is this collective project where we are constantly expanding what it can mean, then by, you know, by definition, then why not have as many perspectives and experiences as possible as we work on this project of art and continuing to like expand what art can be and what it can look like and you know what it can feel like all of these things like the more you know it's it's just a it's like a limitless it can it's abundant what it, what it can be if we can give it the room to grow absolutely and 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 to get off of institutions for a moment i think you also raise a great point that that's kind of more the job of galleries like like 56 henry um there's a sort of the the indie record label there where <clears throat> Tastes are made, trends are started, um, really experimental stuff is done. Um, and I think that, and Ellie, one of the reasons that I'm so impressed by your gallery is that you are successful, which means that you have found a collector base. You're not just like doing these, these really, really awesome shows. You're, you found a nice collector base to support it. Um, and, and I'm wondering how, I mean, if that is, how do you, I mean, how did you, how have you cultivated a collector base that, that sort of, uh, you know, gets with this vision that that that, that understands what we're, what you're trying to do. I think we just kind of like kept everything really lean, and it's still pretty lean, um, so that we could have people like come to us that would care about that. So like our collectors are like pretty open minded and pretty supportive of women, and also supportive of like works that might be a little bit less conventional. 
And yeah, I mean, like, Keely, you've met most of your collectors, don't you think? I don't know. I think um, so. Today. I, I, I <laughs> Today mean, alone. I, I'm always, I mean, I'm always interested. Um, I'm always interested to meet people who are interested in my work and understand more about that. Um, but I would even go beyond, you know, the galleries. If anybody is listening to this and they are not represented by a gallery or working with a gallery, um, I think that's um, in some ways even more of an opportunity to, you know, using our our theme here, shatter the glass ceiling. Um, because when when markets come into things, whether you like it or not, it, it can influence things. And you can make whatever you want. You can't make somebody buy it. And um, I just want to validate anybody out there who is not working with a gallery. You do not have to, like, be an exhibiting artist to, like, identify as an artist and have a practice. But also, like, there is the freedom of um, work validating yourself and making your work regardless of whether or not you you are validated by a gallery or any institution and like that is totally valid and then also sometimes when you have that freedom and you make your you're making your own work and <clears throat> that's sometimes when people will come along and want to get involved in it sometimes when you're chasing after a gallery or an institution um that it creates this sort of like, okay, now I'm going to sound like a crystal person, but like, inner, you know, like repelling energy or whatever. But <clears throat> there's a freedom in that. And um, yeah, like I said, I just want to validate anybody who is making work and having trouble finding spaces. You know, you can create your own spaces too. And often that is a way to chatter expectations and not be um, confined by the market or whatever. I totally agree with that. I think it's a really good point that Lakila makes that like you don't have to have like a gallery showing your work. You can decide to like put up shows yourself and do all these different kind of things and that that is like the place where it starts. Yeah and I, I, I think that's a wonderful place also to, to, to throw it to the to the audience for questions. Um, does, does, does anyone have any? Hi. You Ellie, you talked about keeping your gallery program really lean. Can you explain what you mean by that in terms, like from a collecting standpoint? Um, I guess that we've just like, the artists have been, it's been a really collaborative effort, all of it. So like everyone really works together, which I'm super fortunate about. Like Lakila and I had a booth together at the Armory. <laughs> That's not the way most uh, gallerists would say it. They'd be like, we had a booth where we showed Lakila's work. But um, Lakila was like really happy to be like present there and for us to do it like a team. And that was really fantastic because it is really helpful for me to introduce like curators to Lakila for them to be able to speak to the artist directly and understand what the work's about. And I think our kind of like lack of like a corporate structure and this collaborative 
effort where like we're all doing it together and we're like okay at like staying we're staying at the scariest Airbnb. We told Cynthia that it's Andrew Cunanan's old apartment <laughs> so that she wouldn't think we were really cheap. And um, so like everyone kind of like being in it together lets us kind of like cut expenses so we're not like overly inflating the work so that we can be like placing it with people who like also care about what we're doing. Like the collectors of the Kila's work, a lot of them have been like following it for five years or have like bought a work from the first show and bought a work from the second show and are like happy to loan works to museums and all that kind of stuff. So it's like a really like dedicated effort. It's not like we haven't turned it into like a luxury object. And, and, I, and I just want to say too that, that that is so, that's kind of a radical way for a dealer to be too because I feel like the traditional role of a dealer is when, at least, you know, when you think of the cliche is like, oh, the wait list for that is forever. You can't have that. Like the, the dealer is kind of the, the business wall between the, the, the artist and the collector or the artist and the curator and like running, running defense, right? Like, but you're like saying- Like you and I will come and stay at your beach house. <laughs> <laughs> we come with the work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Nick Doyle has a question. Um, you know, it's, I, I guess at times, like, uh, you know, we're existing in this sort of, it's like a double space of like, you know, there's artistic production, there's artists, there's all, all these people, different visions, but then there's like uh, a darker side to it, which is like this financial market. It's like people are looking at this as sort of investment opportunities and like the dealers, uh, the collectors, everyone's sort of culpable in this situation. And I wanted to ask if each of you could sort of speak because Lakila has mentioned to me in the past, uh, you know, when I'm struggling with things like this, uh, it's important to have a sense of purpose. And I wanted to ask each of you sort of like, if you could talk about what you consider your purpose or agenda in terms of expanding these things. I'll go first because your answer will be more interesting. <laughs> um, I think that I just like consider myself to be pretty much like a conduit to support the artists. And that the market is something that I need to like acknowledge as being there because I'm on the business side of it, you know? So to be like really irresponsible for me to just be like, oh, I'm not touching money. <laughs> so I just try to like really do like a good, like clean job of handling like the market idea of it and then lead in like a very kind of feminine sense, which like you're familiar with because you worked with Ray Finn and that's like a very female gallery. Like I loved it when I first met you and you had like your two like really iconic female dealers. I was like, yeah, I love Nick for choosing this side. Um, but yeah, like I look at the market as one thing and I know that it all kind of like intertwines and then mostly my priority is just to try to like nurture the artist as much as possible. Me? Oh, <laughs> I, I'm the moderator, but my purpose, Dance. my purpose as a writer, honestly, for me, I think that I try to, my writing, I try to keep it as kind of um, accessible as possible. I mean, like, not, I don't want to sound stupid, but like, I think that it's, I personally think one of the ways that, that we're going to get a better art world is like getting away from jargon and getting away from like just name dropping without introducing people and like, and just being like this, this, this thing is buzzy. Like I tried to just write about what I genuinely like uh, and uh, with passion and I hope that, and in a way that's not 
again, not dumb, but like accessible. And I hope that that allows other people to have that kind of relationship with art because I think that everybody should. I think that the more people who feel comfortable having an opinion about art, the better art is gonna, gonna get. And the, the like, more people are gonna have a say in what we call good. Um, yeah, I think part of the reason I, I chose the subjects I chose and I make the kind of work that I make is um, centered around accessibility. And I know that sometimes people don't like art for the same reasons. Sometimes people don't like jazz or poetry. Sometimes it seems like it's being made to be exclusive in this way that makes it inaccessible. And, um, you know, I chose objects, especially for my community as a person from Detroit, a working class family, um, that people, I feel like there's a sort of intersection where people who know about, who understand some of the historic art references I'm making can appreciate that. And then there's like certain sort of everyday objects um, that are meaningful that we interact with, that people from my community can relate to, even though they didn't go to art school and they don't like do the shishi fufu stuff in, in terms of art history. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, I think my art is sort of like at that intersection in a way. Um, but uh, also something I've been, I've taught in art school and, um, and I've been doing a lot of like visiting artists things. And one of the things that I say to um, student artists is like find a reason, find reasons beyond attention and money to have a practice. If you want to have a practice, I mean, it is a reality that we need money to live. So there is just that practical side of it, whether we like it or not. It's not all romance. But if you want to have an art practice, find reasons beyond money and attention. And I, you know, I hope that, you know, you get money and attention. But even if you get it, it's not guaranteed to stick around. But if you want to have a practice, which my practice feeds me, I learn so many things. You'd be surprised. Like, um, you know, I'm alone in my studio, it, is, it has taught me how to like be alone and have a relationship with myself and my creative self and problem solving. And those skills are transferable to like my life outside of the studio and they really feed me as a person. And having a practice has really um, been a way to invest in my in my person really in my like my my part my relationship with myself my you know I don't know when you say spiritual that sounds so like nebulous but like it really has taught me a lot about myself and like helped me grow in this way and I have been I'm speaking from a position of extreme privilege where my practice actually has become a way to support my life and I have to acknowledge that. But also, you know, I had a job before. If I have to have a job again, I will. But like my practice has become a purpose in, in terms of a way to like feed myself, understand myself, interact with the world and interact with my, my art community. Cause they're, they're, it's like the dark and 
like coexisting because we you know we we keep picking on Nick and my friend John is here um but we have a we have a practice where we can relate to each other and it's this really beautiful thing of like understanding what it means to be by yourself and problem solve and like think about what you want to say to an audience and being here at the fair and meeting other artists who um can relate to this like extremely privileged reality that we all share and so that is interesting but like you know like I said before if, it, if there are any artists here who you know are thinking about approaching the market and thinking about how they fit into that um, just you know the richness of having a practice that in itself really is you know not to like you know I feel like artists' biopics do a really good job at like romanticizing the artist's life. And, you know, even some of the more like toxic sides of, you know, that in terms of substance abuse and mental health and all of that. But like, it really is like a beautiful experience that I never take for granted. Um, and, it, you know, it, it has its ups and downs, but like, wow, like what a, a, a beautiful life to be able to, you know, have. That's a that's a beautiful sentiment, um, and and I thank Nick for that question too because you know I as a journalist over the years I've I've asked a variant of that question why do you do what you do to many dealers and artists and all and almost all of them don't point to point to the money, but I don't know if I've be, really believed <laughs> believed it as much as I have with with you two. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to join me here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for coming.